Here at Shaun of the South, we're keeping our hands sharp with the help of Case Knives, the sponsor of this episode. A tradition of my family for generations, my granddaddy used to say the best cure for idle hands was to build something. But in today's day and age, everything's done with a click, a swipe, or a tap. But how about we put away the screens and put your hands to work with a Case Knife? Howdy, you listen to Sean of the South. Here behind me right now is Christy Stanley, everybody. Christy Stanley. I threw your picture in the fire. It didn't hurt me to watch you burn. the question from a boy named Robert. Robert wrote me. I'm happy to, uh, to read your letter over the air. Dear Mr. Sean, my mom told me to ask you if you think I should buy a dog. I'll be nine in March. I believe that I could take care of a dog, but she isn't sure. She told me to ask you, what do you think? Signed, Robert. Well, 
the world's in a, in, a, in, a, in a troublesome state. If someone's asking me for advice, I'm going to tell you that right off the bat, Robert. But if you ask me, which I guess you just did, firstly, you have an impressively wise mother. Very wise. I hurt to tell you to get somebody else's advice on whether or not you ought to get a dog. Removes the burden of responsibility from her. And this effectively absolves her of any guilt. Secondly, Robert, you've done the right thing coming to me. You have, because I have extensive, immeasurable knowledge. You see, I've owned a lot of dogs. And Robert, every dog loving stiff knows that pet ownership will change your life. No longer can you do the things you used to do, things like eat, sleep, think, pay taxes, watch television, or talk to your friends. Oh no, that dog is always there. Imagine, you settle down to watch a little bit of your favorite television. You prop up your feet and you crack open a a Coca-Cola. But as soon as you do, there's that dog. And that dog is beginning to suffer serious bladder pains. And even though, even though you're watching something like Cookie Monster, your pet's urinary, urinary system just hit a red level. And, and he, now he's a threat to your mama's living room rug. So imagine your dog is whining in such a way that it sounds like, like your grandmother just fell in the shower. You're whining loud. It's getting louder. And you say, hush, hush, I'm trying to watch television. But finally, you get up and you open the door. And that dog runs outside and lifts his leg and he unleashes the Mississippi River. And you watch with kind of a mixed pride over what he's doing because because you have to admire the the bladder fortitude of a creature that can hold its its water. Good boy, you might tell your dog. Come on back inside because I'm trying to watch TV. But hold your horses, Robert. Children and dogs don't listen outside. This is the universal rule of, of, of the cosmos. And besides, why are you in such a hurry? I mean, there's an odor in your backyard that wasn't there 10 minutes ago, and your dog knows this, and it, it owes it to mankind to figure out what it was. It's probably nothing. Most of these odors usually turn out to be benign. But your dog comes from a long line of drug-detecting animals, and, and animals which have saved the world from, from nuclear harm simply by using their noses, and he needs to investigate. He owes it to his species to investigate. So you say to yourself... Forget about it. I'm going to watch TV anyway. And you shut the door. And then you sit down again. As soon as you do, you hear loud scratching. That's right. Your dog has changed his mind because he is a fickle creature. He wants you to see him disobey you. If you don't see him disobey you, it doesn't count. So there's the scratching on your back door. And if you ignore this, your dog will do that whole, that whole scream thing again. That screaming that's not quite a bark, not quite a, not quite a howl, it's a scream. So you'll get up from your television show and you'll bring him inside. And this dog will walk inside, he'll sit down beside you and then he will change his mind. He will walk right back to that back door and scratch again to go outside because, after all, that smell is still beckoning him. It's calling his name. And I think, I think you can see where I'm going with this, Robert. This is dog ownership. Just how it goes. 
Eventually you'll get tired of this routine. The routine of door opening, door closing, barking, door opening, door closing, barking, door opening, door closing, barking. And eventually, eventually you will just call your dog's bluff. You'll, you'll realize he doesn't really have to go to the bathroom like he's claiming. You'll call his bluff and eventually he'll wander into the kitchen and he'll bluff his brains out all over your mama's kitchen floor. <laughs> so I guess what I'm trying to say here, Robert, is to answer your question, a dog is a lot of... A lot of responsibility, but it's also a creature that will love you, that will sit beside you, even in the still quiet moments, and watch the sunset with you. It's a creature that will keep you warm at night. It'll lay beside you, and you'll feel its heartbeat against against your own rib cage while you're sleeping in the early hours. It's an animal that will love you unconditionally. It's an animal with an inherent loyalty that will, that will touch you in a place that no other quality found within a human could ever touch you. A dog is a holy creature, a holy creature. But it is also a creature that has a very active bladder. So to answer your question honestly, Robert, do I think you ought to get a dog? The answer is no. I think you ought to get two of them. That's a letter from our listener. Let's have another tune from, from Christy Stanley, everybody. Christy Stanley.
the older generation of people who came before me were coffee people. They really were. It was their, it was their national pastime, in a way. They drank coffee for every kind of event. There was no, no sacred meeting ever held without the presence of coffee. If you were to walk into my grandmother and grandfather's bathroom, you would have smelled nothing but coffee. Amazing. Amazing. You could, you could lock yourself in that room and you could die from the smell of reprocessed coffee. They had a, a silver bun coffee maker on their counter. And you could have a, a little cup any time of day, at whatever time you wanted. You could just get yourself a little, little bump upward in the energy department. And that's how the older generation processed life. They, they used coffee. Coffee. I love coffee. That's why whenever I do what I'm doing right now, I have this little red, red tin cup. My wife bought me this. It's meant for camping. It's a camping cup, and that's why I carry it up here, because it, uh, it looks outdoorsy, and, and it makes me appear to be more of a of a man's man than I, than I am. Wishful thinking, I guess you'd call it. But you can't have a beard without, without having something that looks like you. You deserve a beard. And so I love coffee. I come from people who, who used it religiously. Sometimes you can still see people from that older generation sipping coffee, and they sip it at, at inopportune times that children who have grown up and taken over our world, they don't, they don't sip coffee at the same times of day that their, their predecessors did. Someone from a long time ago, maybe in the, the 50s and the 60s, they would have a, a cup of coffee around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Then they'd go home and they'd eat dinner around 5, 5.30, and then they would have coffee after supper because after you eat a big supper, you get kind of sluggish and sleepy and you need that little, you need that little caress. That caress toward feeling less lethargic. But today, people wouldn't drink coffee past five o'clock. It, it would be a sin. I knew people who drank coffee. They were an old couple that I met through a friend of mine. They were an old couple, and they were from different parts of the world. She was from Cherokee, Kansas, and he's from a place in Alabama called Lick Skillet. It changed the name to Oxford, which is ironic because the two names couldn't be any different. Lick, Skillet, and Oxford are on completely opposite sides of the spectrum, if you ask me. Lick, Skillet sounds like something you do after your mama makes giblet gravy. Oxford is a place men go to learn how to lift their pinky while they drink a, a Budweiser beer. <laughs> but they were, they were a unique couple what brought them together was music. Music was what brought them together. And they, they met at 18 years old, and they hit it off right away. Right away. Music is one of those things that brings folks together. It can bring an entire room of people together. It can unify an entire crowd and put them on the same rhythmic wavelength, you might call it. You can watch an entire room of, of 200 Baptists sing one song, 
Sometimes they'll even stand up and join hands across the aisle to sing that song. When I was a kid, we used to, we used to join hands across the aisle after singing to pray against things. We never prayed for things. We always prayed against things because that's how you unify people. You get them angry about something. We held hands and we prayed against horse tracks and dog racing tracks and against casinos and against, against board games with dragons on them and video games and jogging suits and rare species of penguins. <laughs> we like to pray against things. And then we would close with a song. We close with a song. I was raised Southern Baptist. And, and Southern Baptists love music. And this couple I'm telling you about, they were musicians. And they could be just as at home in a Baptist church as they could in a juke joint. They were not famous musicians, but they were good. They were good, good players. He played the guitar and she sang. She had a voice like a coal miner's daughter. And he had, he had the voice and the picking style of a 1953 jukebox. I love the old style of music. I love to listen to them sing. When they first met, 18 years old, a friend of theirs recorded them singing how high the moon, somewhere there's music, how faint the tune, somewhere there's heaven, how high the moon, there is no moon above where love is far away too, till it comes true that you love me as I love you. She had a voice, a voice that was just angelic, she, she sounded she sounded like her era, if that's even possible. And he would pick behind her just like Les Paul or Chet Atkins. He was good, and she was good too. They hit it off immediately, and they played all sorts of little churches, and they played all sorts of little parties, and they played, played little places. And they, they wanted to be professional musicians. They wanted to be somebody famous. They wanted to leave their mark on the world. It's a natural desire for a human to want to leave his mark on the world. It doesn't matter what field you're in, it's, it's something innate. It's within you. You want to leave your, your mark on the world. You want a lot of people to see your mark. This is why people's names and people's faces are always seen in public places. This is why you can go into the bathroom at a public park and you can see inscribed on the bathroom wall, Johnny was here, right next to the engraving that is a, a dirty little poem written by a fifth grade boy who had nothing better to do. People want to leave their marks. They tried to leave theirs. Today, they're an old couple, an old coffee-drinking couple who lives in a little two-bedroom house, the kind of two-bedroom house with wood paneling and and the the flat-style roof. They live right outside Nashville, Tennessee. And they play for their own enjoyment in the garage. He plays his flat top and she sings. If you can sit outside there and in the summertime, you can hear the, the crickets making their noise and you can drink sweet tea, which she has prepared that is sweet enough to power a residential lawnmower. I was at their house not long ago. I was watching them sit in their garage and they were singing and that sweet tea was sitting, sitting on a little table she had ready for me and a lawn chair was right next to it. And I sat and we, we formed a, a small semicircle. I took a sip of that tea and they sang, she sang, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. 
You make me happy when skies gray. And he sang a little bit of a little bit of Hank Williams. Well, sugar, I took one look at you, and it almost drove me mad. And then I even went and lost what little sense I had. Now I can't tell the day from night. I'm as crazy as a loon. You got me chasing rabbits, scratching fleas, and howling at the moon. They sang songs that were from the old world. First time I ever met him, I was a kid. I was 14 years old. I was 14. I wanted to be I wanted to be a singer and a guitar player. I did. I had a friend who taught me music. He was a bass player. He played an upright bass. He used to be a professor at Auburn once upon a time, and he had a, a big head, unnaturally large for his body, and white hair, white hair with a handlebar mustache, and he. He was slow to talk, but he was good on that bass. And he introduced me to this couple, this old couple. And when I first met him, he, he came walking out of his car with his wife carrying his guitar. And he was wearing a western cattleman's hat and a western-style shirt and a pair of boots. And she was wearing the same sort of outfit. And he called her baby doll, baby doll. And she called him daddy. They never called each other anything different as long as I was around. And my buddy, he played his upright bass. And this couple, she played a mandolin and he played a guitar. And they sang harmony behind me while I sang with a little guitar strapped to my chest. And I sang songs that I was preparing to sing for a Baptist church. It wasn't my church. It was a missionary Baptist church way out in the sticks. I had the opportunity to go sing out there as a 14-year-old kid. I wasn't used to singing in public. I really had no business singing in public because, you see, someone like me, even though you probably can't tell it, I'm shy. I'm shy. And that's why I've closed my eyes this entire time that I tell this story. Of course, it's not so much that I'm shy. It's that I'm trying to remember the words that I like to say, but... It is the mark of a person like me. Whenever I sing, I also close my eyes. And, and it was this man, this man, baby doll and daddy, who told me that it was okay to do that. He said, you just, you just find your place and you sing your song. And we practiced singing those, those Baptist songs. I, I sang, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. I sang, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Thee. I sang, I sang, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me on. I sang. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne me call my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. 
And off to skate And the tempter sneer By thy return Sweet hour of prayer Of course, it sounded a lot better If I hadn't drank so much coffee and that's what Baby Doll, his wife, told me. Coffee dehydrates your vocal cords. It dehydrates your whole body. It sucks the water right out of your body. And it makes your vocal cords sound like, like the strings of an upright bass. And that's why I sound like I do right now. Sounds like I smacked a pack of palm oils. <laughs> oh, we got to that Missionary Baptist Church, and these were the folks. These are the kind of folks who sat inside clapboard rooms with wood floors and wood ceilings and wood pews. And a pulpit. We had no microphone system because because churches like this don't use microphone systems. Tiny little room, tiny little room. And I sang these songs. Before I got up to sing, I was so nervous I thought I was going to vomit. These kind of Baptists, missionary Baptists, are the kinds that they're the kinds that sit there like they got a big old rod shoved up their their spines. <laughs> they, they don't like to crack smiles because if you crack a smile, you're violating. The 11th commandment, which is thou shalt not drink, swear, or smile, or tolerate anybody who does. That's a, that's a missionary Baptist for you. They're a unique breed of soul. They don't believe in smiling. They don't believe in clapping. And some of our songs deserve a little clapping like I saw the light. And, and, and would you be free from your burden of sin, there's power in the blood. Those songs need claps. But if you're a missionary Baptist, you keep your hands firmly beneath your hind parts while you watch and listen. It's part of the rule book. I was so nervous before we started. That, that, that musical couple, they, they held me like I was their kid. They, she rubbed my shoulders and, and spoke to me in her, in her cans and accent. He, he patted my head. He said, here's what I want you to do, boy. I want you to get out there on that, on that altar. I want you to sing songs that are going to make them missionary Baptists crap in their pants. <laughs> His little joke just broke the tension. It broke the tension in me, and it made me, made me feel a whole lot better. I got out there, and I sang. I closed my eyes just like he'd, he'd encouraged me to do, and I sang my songs. I sang my songs. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Even though no one clapped, I was clapping in my mind and I was playing my guitar. And when we finished, he he patted my shoulder. He said, sniffing the air. By God, I think you did it, son. I think you did it. good people and I love people who love music. I've heard it said that, that there are two kinds of people you can tell are going to be good people in this world. Those who love dogs and those who love music. They're those kind of people. Last time I visited them, I'm sitting in their garage. and We're singing songs with three-part harmony. Songs like Will the Circle Be Unbroken. Songs like songs like I fell into a burning ring of fire. <laughs> and she claps, and she, she claps very, very solemnly. It's not, a, it's not an intense clap. It's a clap that maybe suggests she could have been raised as Southern Baptist or even, God forbid, Church of God. 
she claps and he sings or, or he plays and picks a little bit while she sings. And, and they asked me to sing one. And he had his shot at being somebody and playing with an up-and-coming band in Nashville a long time ago. He took a chance and he moved his family to Nashville. At the time, he had, he had her and he had his, his two children. And at the time, they were just a, a common family. He worked on cars for a living. They did whatever they could to pay the bills. And Baby Doll just stayed at home, and she took care of his children. Being a mother is more than a full-time job, but is an, an all-around-the-clock job. And Baby Doll and Daddy moved to Nashville, though, because they were pursuing some sort of dream that they'd had to make their mark on the world. But as soon as he got there, the band collapsed, and everything just fell apart, and so he found himself in Nashville, Tennessee, without a pot to you-know-what in, and a window to throw it out of. And so he found a job, found a job working on cars. He worked underneath cars. It was a thankless job, but he, he found his pleasure in it, and the only singing he did was with his family in that garage or at a no-name juke joint or at some missionary Baptist church with a godless 14-year-old boy who has no business being on stage because he lacks stage presence and he's shy. And he's shy. Their house is peppered with all sorts of stuff now. All sorts of treasures from their exploits. Exploits across the common America. They've got They've got Hank Williams records framed and on the wall because he, he got to see Hank Williams one time in his life. And they've got Elvis records and they've got a few, few little porcelain Elvis statues hanging around. I don't know what it is about porcelain Elvis statues, but they, they complete the look of a 70-year-old's house. Every 70-year-old in the southeast part of the United States needs an Elvis porcelain figurine standing on their, on their bookshelf somewhere. Also, they need, in order to truly be a 70-plus person in our society, they need a John Wayne memorabilia plate somewhere on that bookshelf. And well, baby doll and daddy, they've got both. After we did a little bit of singing, she, she offered me a little more sweet tea. I had to decline because I'm afraid of diabetes, you see. <laughs> Too much sweet tea leads to... Leads to it's the problems, and so I, I took my turn sipping water. He said, hey, how about we do a song, you know, just like, just like we did that one time. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. I said, no, nah, I don't. Too slow. Baby doll said, no, no, no. How about, how about I sing him a song that, that, that brought us together? And so she sang some withers music. I'll faint the tune Somewhere there's heaven I'll hide the moon There is no moon above Where love is far away too Till it comes true That he loved me as I love you Somewhere there's music It's where you are Somewhere there's heaven I'll kneel far the brightest light would shine if you would come to me soon. Until you will, how still my heart. 
Until you will house still my heart Until you will house still my heart How high the moon Baby Don and Daddy They're coffee drinkers Just like me Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a true pleasure. Hope you join us next week for another mediocre story and some wonderful music. Speaking of music, the music you heard behind me today was Christy Stanley, Rod Smith, Mike Bentley, Alicia Nugent, Austin Brown, and Nick Goad. Christy was raised in Pikeville, Kentucky, and the highlight of her career came when she was asked by Dr. Ralph Stanley to be a part of a Grammy-nominated album, Clinch Mountain Sweethearts. You might have heard of it. Dolly Parton took part in that one. To find anything more about what she does, visit ChristyStanley.com or listen to her on iTunes, CD Baby, or Spotify and any other platform you can think of. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouth.com. While you're there, hope it takes time to drop me a line. Tell me about your wedding announcements, birthday invitations, or invite me to your bar mitzvah because I love to hear from my friends and I love to read those letters over there. And speaking of friends, friends, why not go out on a limb for once? After all, that's where they say the fruit is. Adios. Mm-hmm.